All right, we are so glad to see you, my friends, that uh, you've chosen to be with us today. We are in part two of actually the third chapter of the series, The Story of Reality. So we are in this third chapter, The Story of Reality, Jesus, and we're in week two of this. Last week, we were just looking at face-to-face with Jesus. Today, we're looking at face-to-face with the King. Now, my challenge today is to get what I have here in way more than what I have here in my heart to come through in the time that we have. Because to understand Jesus the King means understanding what has taken place in reality when God sent Jesus. You see, Christianity happened because something really happened. The king came. And when the king came, he set us free from the dominion of darkness. He established a kingdom, and that kingdom continues now, and it still has a future element. So when we start talking about the story of reality, the framework is so helpful in everyday life. I can't stress that enough. If we don't, part of the reason why we're doing this story of reality is we. we often don't make correct sense of our world. We're confused when things aren't going the way we expect them to go. We don't know quite where to hang our own experience when it doesn't quite match up to what we think the kingdom of God is all about and what we think it means to, well, wait, I thought you loved me, God, and why am I here still stuck in this mess and so on and so forth. So this whole story is about where we were, where we are now, and where we're going and how we fit into that story, and kingdom has such a huge um, impact on us understanding how that works. The king has come, he's established a kingdom, and we need to get a grip on that. If I just keep talking, I will run out of time. So, we're going to jump right to Revelation, and we're going to look at the end of the story. It's important to see this in this announcement from the seventh angel. Revelation eleven fifteen. the seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah and he will reign forever and ever. So the question is, has this happened yet? I've already tipped off the answer. This is Revelation. This is a re- revelation about what was things to come. And even as this is telling us about what is to come, It has not happened yet. So how is it that we're in this kingdom and yet this can be true, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah is still a a future fulfillment of all the hopes of the kingdom in the future. That's kind of the rub and the tension that we find ourselves living in every day. We're already in the kingdom if we know the king. And yet it doesn't feel like everything's under, well, we look around and the world is messed up. We look into our own lives and I'm still messed up. Wait, we're still messed up. I am too. And so how does this work and how do we fit it together is so important when we understand all the concepts related to the kingdom. We shouldn't be surprised that it hasn't been fulfilled yet. When we look around, it's obvious. We shouldn't be surprised that it hasn't been fulfilled completely fulfilled yet because Jesus taught all of his followers to pray this prayer. 
Here's what he taught us to pray. We continue to pray it. Matthew 6.10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I still remember the time when I felt like one of the first times that I felt like God was really just speaking. He just gave me a word. It just, just in the middle of a horrific situation. You don't need to know what it was. A horrific situation. And I was just agonizing. And I, I heard this thing that's... This, this thought just was crystal clear and I've remembered it ever since and I've, you've heard me say it over and over and over again. It's an obvious truth, but somehow in that middle of that crisis moment, this obvious truth was just like evading me and this was the truth. This isn't heaven yet. Sometimes we treat God as if every moment ought to be heaven now. And... If that were the case, he wouldn't teach every disciple we need to keep praying when we hit those moments where we know it's not heaven yet. We need to keep praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven because right now my earthly experience is not matching your will in heaven. It's not matching your will from heaven for earth because right now we are living in a world where there are two kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness And the kingdom of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, we'll call him King Jesus. Messiah means the anointed king. Long prophesied a thousand years before he came, and prophecies got more and more and more clear, and then he arrived. Christianity is the result of something that actually happened. God sent his son Jesus to establish a kingdom in a world of darkness, where it's a kingdom of darkness. And with the king came a kingdom and then he established it and here we are. We gotta talk about what does it mean now that it's established and still it's messed up and what do you do with that and that's what this is about. The kingdom's full victory and fulfillment is still in the future but we are finally ready for point number one. Point number one. Jesus' kingdom is already here now. Jesus' kingdom is already here now. Keep these two words in your vocabulary when you think in terms of kingdom. Already, not yet. Both are true about the kingdom. It's already here now. It's not yet fulfilled in all of its glory and we're we're still praying that God's kingdom will come as it is in heaven and converge upon earth, and it'll be fulfilled, okay? So that's really important for us to keep in our vocabulary and in our thinking. Too many people read the phrase, the kingdom of heaven, to refer to only the future. Matthew 5, 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is Jesus' teaching on the kingdom of heaven. So we American believers, too often, we, every time we read about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, that Jesus spent so much time teaching on, and it's recorded particularly in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the concept of the kingdom. John has it four times, but man, those four times are doozies. And when he talks about the kingdom, he uses other words to describe the same thing, just elevating what it means that Jesus is the Christ, the king, King Jesus elevates what that means. But we're going to see 
that when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, by the way, that's Matthew's verbiage, kingdom of heaven. He's a Jew, and Jews have to be very careful because of the law, and he has to follow Jewish sensitivities to not say the word God too frequently. So he uses the kingdom of heaven, whereas Luke describes the kingdom of God, kingdom of God, kingdom of God. He's a Greek. And Mark, writing to the Roman church, a Greek church, writes kingdom of God. Matthew, though, says kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven. The problem with that little change of wording, although they all mean the same thing, when we read it as Americans, we think the kingdom of heaven is in the future. When we die, and we finally get there, and that we're going to get that. American believers are so confused that they don't realize the kingdom is now and we can enter into it now and experience it now, not in its full glory, but we can experience it and that's what we need to get a hold of and make sure we understand. Jesus' kingdom is already here now. Matthew 4.23, we read this. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. He didn't just say, hey, the kingdom is here. He brought the kingdom with him as is demonstrated by his unearthly authority and unearthly power. The heavenly kingdom has come. The heavenly authority is with him. He's healing where he goes. He's bringing the kingdom to earth as God wills it in heaven. It's coming with him. And he tells us, keep praying for this. And it's more than just miracles as demonstrations. Matthew 12, 28. But if it is by the spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. I don't know what you think about demons. Is that just movie stuff? Is that just imagination stuff? I happen to believe they're real. I believe Satan, the devil, is real. I believe this invisible kingdom language that I'm describing is a reality. That's why we call this thing the story of reality. It makes a lot of sense of our messed up life when you realize that there's this hidden reality like germs that are hidden that affect our health but we're talking about spiritual realities that affect our spiritual health just as real and that God sent his son to establish a kingdom of light within the kingdom of darkness and that he is now going to from that beachhead cause it to grow and grow and grow, overtake the world, and the gospel has gone into all nations practically. Not quite yet. We're still on a mission, and the kingdom's goal is not ultimately fulfilled. And here's the interesting deal. It will never be ultimately fulfilled until the king returns. Okay? Now, here's where the Jews got really confused, because in the Old Testament, they were only anticipating the first coming of the Christ. And with the first coming, they expected the second coming glories to come, come with it because it all crunched together in this foreshortening, prophetic foreshortening of the vision, all described in one shot. And so they're expecting the second coming glory at the first coming of Christ. And the king himself had to bring the correction and say, no, I'm going away. 
The kingdom will continue. There's going to be a long delay. Here's a story about this and a story about that and a story about this and here's how it's going to work. There's going to be weeds and there's going to be um, wheat and don't bother trying to separate them out at this point. That's later when I return in glory. When I return in glory, it's no longer hidden. It's no longer secret. It's no longer mysterious. It's undeniable. And I will take care of all of those who are outside of the kingdom at that time. And I will judge them. So what we're talking about is incredibly important, but we need to understand right now, we're in this mixed, messed up world, but salvation is already present. His kingdom and his reign is already here. Although we can't see it, spiritually we can begin to experience and discern it. And the more we experience and discern it, we're living in the power and authority, this unearthly power, this unearthly kingdom authority through the power of his Holy Spirit that Jesus released because of his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And he says, I'm going away, and with my going away, I will now give you my spirit. The kingdom is on the move. The kingdom is a movement, and it has happened. You can't deny that it's happened. Just look at history. It has happened, okay? That's the story of reality. Some summary here. The kingdom came because the king came. The kingdom was established by what the king did, by his life, death, and resurrection. The kingdom remained after his departure. How? By his spirit. Some quick whole Bible theme overview. The temple was a deposit of what was to come. The temple is a converging place where heavenly kingdom of God God's kingdom in heaven converges to earth and earthly people wanting to be a part of God's kingdom converge together at temple. Heaven and earth come together at temple. That's a snapshot. Then Jesus comes, okay? Remember, temple started with tabernacle, mobile temple, where heaven and earth converge. God's glory is in the tabernacle, then move to the temple so that God's presence would be with his nation in a kingdom, Old Testament. It's now, they made a shamble of God's kingdom, so God is going to make it a reality, but it's going to be a hidden and better reality. Jesus comes. He tabernacles in the flesh. God became flesh, tabernacling in our midst. Dwelt, that's the word, skene, tented in John. And when he tabernacled in our midst, the glory of God is in him, the king. And then he says, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. Man, I'm getting away from my notes. We're going to be in trouble here. And with this temple, he says, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. There's a big thing that goes on. They go, they don't get it. But he does raise the temple, the presence of the convergence of heaven upon earth. And then he says to his disciples, I got to go away so that I can give you the spirit. When he goes away, he takes his body, the old temple, away, and he says, now the spirit can come into you, the body of Christ, the church, and we as individuals, as well as collectively, we gather in an assembly. Note that church is not building. Note that church is not location. Church, ecclesia, is the assembly of gathered 
believers with the Spirit of God in them, gathered in the name of Jesus, where heaven and earth converge in power, unearthly authority, in equipping and releasing to continue the movement. Let's review so far. The kingdom of heaven is already here, but not yet. Fulfilled because there are still two kingdoms in the world, the bad one and the good one. Point number two. We got to point two. Luke 17, 20 through 21. The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. The Jews totally misunderstand what Jesus' teaching about the kingdom is. And we go, yeah, they just didn't get it. Hello, most of American believers are misunderstanding what Jesus is teaching in the kingdom of heaven. Still, most American believers in churches are, they're so glad that their sins are forgiven and they have been saved and they can't wait to get to heaven and the kingdom of heaven. And if that's where you live and you think that's what Christianity is about, you're missing all the fun. Because the kingdom of God is here and now, and yes, it continues into heaven. Eternal life begins now, and yes, it will be fulfilled in glory. But the glory we get to taste now and the deposit that he gave us in a guarantee by the Holy Spirit in our lives, unearthly authority, unearthly power, the kingdom of heaven is here, now, in our midst. And if you're still blind to it, and if you still can't experience it, and you're still kind of vague about it, Oh, you got some seeking to do. Because it is mysterious. On the screen, Jesus' message about the kingdom was more than a message about getting into the kingdom of heaven. It's about the kingdom of heaven getting into us, our children, marriages, and families as citizens of his kingdom now. That means the king reigns in my heart. The king is putting things back into order that were all messed up and out of order. He's reigning and ruling me so he can reign and rule in my marriage, so he can reign and rule with my children, so he can reign and rule in my relationships. That's what it's about. At this stage of our story now, although we'll describe it as Jesus described it and as the New Testament describes it, we're in the last days But the story is not over yet. The kingdom is still hidden, spiritual, mysterious, but it is real and something we can learn to discern and experience. Point number three, it's a gift. The kingdom of heaven is a gift. Luke 12, 32 says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. It's a gift. It's a gift He wants you to want. He does not give it to people who do not want it. Do you want Jesus to be your king? Now don't just give me a Sunday school answer and nod your head and think, yeah, think about this. Do you? Do you want Jesus to call the shots? Do you want Jesus to be your king? Do you want Jesus' will instead of your own will? Jesus' kingdom instead of your own little kingdom. That everything becomes about Jesus' kingdom. Do you want it? Until you want it, you're not going to really experience the power of it. 
the blessing of it, the amazing, hidden, mysterious nature of it. It's a gift. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. We must never stop seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. You, you can't imagine how many times we've led somebody to the point of decision and baptism and how many times it's like the last time we see them. It's like their goal was to make sure that their eternity was secure and now they feel better about their past and their darkness and I'm forgiven and now, good, I've got my ticket to heaven and I have this. Folks, it's not how it works. You don't go, now that I have this, I'm good. Now that you have this, you seek it with all your heart. Half-hearted Christianity misses the boat altogether. You don't get anything half-heartedly. You gotta wholeheartedly love God, wholeheartedly seek him. Here's the simple truth. God wants to be wanted always. He wants us to seek him always. Too many Christians want God half-heartedly. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Jeremiah 29, 13. It's a gift. It's not something you earn by seeking. It's a gift, but he only gives it to those who want it. And I'm kind of describing how, what that looks like to want it want it, really want it. It's a gift, but for now, it's also something else. Point number four. It's at war. A lot of people, when they sign up for Christianity, somebody didn't tell them this, and when the war hits, they get surprised. Listen to me. When you sign up for Christ, you're signing up to be a part of his kingdom. And his kingdom is at war. Got it? Doesn't mean easy. It means empowered. Right? It means we serve the king who has all power. He will never leave us or forsake us. But it doesn't mean easy. Matthew 12, 28 through 29. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. See, the Pharisees thought they had Jesus figured out. Aha! We obviously don't agree with what he's teaching, so obviously he's wrong. And since he's wrong, obviously he's doing these miracles by the power in league with evil. It's through the evil power that he's accomplishing these evils. And Jesus says, bad logic, bad logic. What I'm showing you is proving exactly opposite of what you see and think. What you see and think is that I am in league with evil and by evil I'm doing this power, but don't you see by the very accident I'm doing that I myself am at war with evil and I have more power than evil? Take a look. Your logic is flawed. 
I'm stronger than the strong man. I have bound him and I'm plundering him and I'm pulling out of his kingdom and setting free people under the dominion of darkness to be set free in the kingdom of light. And you want to know how much power I have? Well, just ask the darkness what they can do to stand against light. Darkness has no power or ability to withstand light, even the smallest light. He came to make war with the usurper and all those in league in his kingdom to set us free and to open our eyes because we are blinded by the darkness. It's a war, but darkness has no real power. 1 John 4, 4 says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. I've left you with the Spirit of God. I've left you with my Spirit. You are now temples. The glory is in you, and the glory in you is me. And the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Do not fear. Do not even get fixated. Just eyes straight on me, face to face, eyes straight ahead. You've got this. You've got the power. You've got the authority. Honor me. Point number five, it requires allegiance. The best decision you can ever make is to pledge your allegiance to the king. We just saw a demonstration of that in a baptism. Entering into covenant with the king and pledging allegiance. We also all participated in a communion ceremony, which is a renewal of your covenant commitment to God and his commitment to you. By taking it, you are pledging your allegiance. Would you stand with me? On the screen is simply these words. I pledge allegiance to you, my King, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If that is where you want to live, and you know you're weak and it's hard to be loyal, but he gives you the spirit to help you with unearthly power to stand strong and to pledge your allegiance and to do well with his equipping. If that's your heart, just say it with me loud and clear and from the heart wholeheartedly. Ready? I pledge allegiance to you, my King, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? We pledge allegiance to you, our King, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ and to your kingdom for which you stand, because you purchased us with your blood. You have made us one in one body, by one spirit, giving us one hope in one Lord, one faith, one baptism, giving us personal access to one God, and Father of us all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. You died for all, so that we who live should no longer live for ourselves, but for you who died for us and was raised again. We pledge allegiance to you, our King, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you. See you next week.